However, standing by right now is the one and the only, Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You go ahead and chop me. Give me a big chop. I'll sell. I'll give you my whole chest and everything. And then I'll look at you like this, and then I'll punch you right in the mouth as hard as I can. (laughs) Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Primetime with Sean Mooney. We've got another great episode coming your way, coming off our conversation with James Storm. I hope uh, that you really enjoyed that. It is a crazy time with what's happening with the coronavirus and everybody self-distancing and self-quarantining. I hope you are staying safe and I hope you're caring for uh, all the people that you love and uh, trying to help those here in your community when you can. Um, but man, it is, uh, it's scary times, and I'm glad to see that, uh, as usual, folks here in our great country are coming together. Uh, we'll get through this, no, no problem uh, with that, but I hope in the meantime we can uh, help entertain you somewhat with this podcast, and uh, I hope the one with James Storm. I mean, what an incredible talent he is, and he just keeps getting it done uh, now with the NWA and uh, still at it, and we'll be hearing a lot more from him, I know, in the future, and we'll have him back. Uh, this episode is also a great one, man. I just had this conversation with the developers of uh, Dark Side of the Ring, uh, director Jason Eisner and producer Evan Husney. And guys, this is a really uh, great talk that we had. Um, you know, episode two is just about to premiere. Uh, for many of you listening right now, you're, uh, you're catching this right before it debuts. And they've got a great lineup of new uh, uh, documentaries, a new series Ten different episodes coming up. They released part one of the Chris Benoit story on YouTube. So maybe if you don't have Vice, uh, you can see it. Maybe I don't want you to get I want you to get Vice after you see it because it is uh, just awesome. I watched it yesterday, and uh, what an incredible story! As you see, um, you know one of the greatest superstars ever in the WWE just uh, spiral to the point where uh, he reaches uh, the darkest part a human can go, where he ends up killing his wife and son and then um, and killing himself. And uh, what's really great about it, though, is that the narrator of this series says, you know, if you think that this story is some uh, one that's going to glorify a murder, uh, stop watching. Just not That's not what this is about. And uh, you're going to really, I can't wait to see the second part of it. But there's also so many other uh, great episodes that are coming up they got the assassination of Dino Bravo, and you know that I, I worked with Dino, I knew him very well, and uh, it's still a cold case. They have not solved it, um, and when I talked with Jason and Evan, um, they discussed how they didn't get cooperation from law enforcement, and uh, they actually got his, his widow to talk to them, and it's just fascinating. 
uh, New Jack, which is a, an episode that I was, I don't know much about New Jack, but after they told me about what the story contains and they actually have him, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, Dr. David Schultz, Dr. D, uh, is uh, uh, somebody they say on here is a cautionary tale, you know, that he is the, the one who, you know, gave John Stossel the ear claps and, you know, burst his eardrums and uh, whatever, and, uh, you know, they actually got him, Stossel, to talk to them for that episode, and it's just fascinating to think that here's this guy who's defending professional wrestling in his eyes, and it ends up basically turning its back on him, and that was, you know, ended his career. Um, the Death of Nancy Argentino is another one, you know, with Jimmy Snuka. The Road Warriors, which is personal for both uh, Jason and Evan, they're huge uh, uh, Road Warrior fans, and uh, you know the story with Mike Hegstrand and uh, Joe Laurinaitis. Uh, Herb Abrams is another one of the uh, episodes, a guy who was kind of the uh, Vince McMahon wannabe. And then um, the one that I cannot wait to see is the, the episode on Owen Hart. But uh, there's two hours of this episode uh, coming up here uh, where they break down what it took to produce the series. So what do you say we get to it, all right? Uh, here are the uh, creators of The Dark Side of the Ring, um, we've got, uh, the director who is Jason Eisner and the producer, Evan Husney. And, uh, they tell you the story of how they got these 10 episodes done. Ding, ding, ding. Folks, I am really excited to welcome back, uh, my guests, the creators of The Dark Side of the Ring, which has, uh, become, uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, by far, uh, documentary series when it comes to wrestling and, and just uh, sports. And not, I'm not even saying sports entertainment, just sports. Uh, director Jason Eisner and producer Evan Husney join me. And guys, uh, welcome back. Uh, I know you've been a little bit busy, but uh, you know, tell me what the last I don't know since we last chatted, what's happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, uh, yeah. I don't even know where to start. I guess. I think we I think we spoke after the first season was done, right? After it yeah, you, yeah, and and you couldn't make the announcement. I think you knew you had a second season oh, coming, but I don't right, think you right. could make it official. And I think we actually waited a week or so so that I could come on and say it was right. coming. Yeah. yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So right, right, right after the first season aired, um, we got the green light to go ahead on a season two, and we've been hitting the ground running pretty much ever since that day, probably. Um, yeah. We were, I think yeah. we got the news, like we got the official email that season two is happening. I think we were out the door filming within a week or two. Like, yeah, it was, it was literally, we got to Toronto and then had, like, no, we week. didn't even get to Toronto. Well, that's right. We didn't, we just, yeah. we didn't even go to Toronto. Yeah. And then after doing the first round of shooting, we came to Toronto, linked back up with the team again and, you know, dove yeah. back into it. But Evan actually, I think you tallied. All the interviews we've done for season two yesterday, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yesterday, all the the number of interviews that we've done for this season is actually eighty-seven interviews. <laughs> wow, that <laughs> is unbelievable. And usually, <laughs> like, like each one is like three to like four hours long. Right. And I was just thinking, like, like on like on the way back home today, I was just like, man, if someone had told me this year. You're going to do 87 interviews that are going to be each like three to four hours long. It's like, whoa, that no. is daunting. That so, is yeah. crazy. And, and when it's you think about it, when you guys think about it, uh, you know, if, if uh, anyone knows how you, know, you kind of do this situation, but you have to be thinking way ahead. 
and I, uh, you know, you guys have what ten episodes coming up, and I'm sure a lot of these guys that you got uh, could speak on a, a number of these, and so yeah. you've got to think ahead. How in the world did you do that as far as your prep going uh, into this and being able to say, okay, we're going to get him, so we can we got to be sure and ask him about this. Well, sometimes it, sometimes we got a, a little lucky in that way, but I mean, you know, having done the first season, there's a couple of people we knew we wanted to have um, back, and um, and then you know, I guess I, I think it was like right after when, when we got the green light, we we went like straight to try and figure out what the ten episodes would be, and we and we tried to decide on those as quickly as possible because of that fact, because yeah, then yeah. we would be traveling and talking to these people, and then we knew we could get you know, Jim Ross to talk about a handful of different things. Cause I, obviously he's been around for all of it or, you know, I'm um, trying to think of some others, you know, and obviously Jim Cornette's a regular on the show. So um, we knew we wanted to get as much out of him as we could. And we actually went down to him, I think three times this year. Yeah. Really. Correct. Yeah. 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 It was three times, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah, we, yeah. So it was just, you know, it's just trying to plan as much as you can, but you're always at the mercy of the edit schedule. So whatever the edit schedule tells you that you can do, then that's how you kind of shape everything around that. Yes. So with that in mind, and uh, Jason, maybe you can address this first, but how in the world did you guys decide which uh, stories you're going to tell? I know there were a few <laughs> from the last season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe, mm-hmm. Evan, you want to address it as well. But uh, how did you go about that? Because I have to imagine there yeah. were a lot of stories that you could have told. Yeah, well, basically, once we, uh, like, all the, we, we, we knew that we were possibly going to get this green light, um, we just hit our social media accounts on Twitter and just, like, asked, uh, the, the audience, like, what subjects would they like to see in season two? And we just got, like, a flood of feedback, like, <laughs> so much. And Evan, like, went through all of it for, like, days and, like, painstakingly, like, ordered it. And that's like how we kind of came up with the like our decision for each episode. Obviously, we weren't able to get like get into every single topic, but for the most part, all of our episodes were like the top picks from the audience. Yeah, yeah, it was it was like uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was thousands and thousands of replies that we got on all the social media platforms. And I just was like, what? I'm just as a I just thought like, what would it look like? Like, what what is the top ten? And uh, it was fascinating to see, like, what the commonalities people had. Obviously, there's some obvious ones that people wanted to see, which we did do. But we tried to keep it as close as we could to what people most wanted to see. And that was really informative and super helpful. Um, and obviously, there's some that there's episodes we personally wanted to do. But there was also, like, I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know if there's maybe a few episodes we might not have done if it wasn't for, like, this overwhelming, you know, audience feedback. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, it's starting at the, be- the beginning of this and, of course, the premiere, uh, folks, uh, happening. And I'm glad that we got you guys right before it happened. We're going to drop this episode uh, right before. And, geez, you talk about uh, timing as well. If uh, people got to be uh, locked up indoors, uh, what a great way to uh, be entertained, especially if you're a wrestling fan. But the uh, the Benoit story, the Chris Benoit story. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just been, uh, you know, such a mystery over the years. Even people who knew what happened, there was always this why. And uh, so was that your number one right away saying that is that's going to be the first one we do? Or was that uh, down farther down the list? Well, um, <clears throat> the Chris Benoit story was one that we wanted to that we actually 
thought we would tackle in season one. And we originally were supposed to have 10 episodes for season one, but the episode order got, 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 um, got cut halfway through production down to Devil six. So it kind of went automatically on the shelf. And, um, and I'm kind of, I'm really glad that it did because I don't think that we were ready to tell that story. I don't think we were ready to, to handle that, that story. Uh, I just couldn't see how we would have done it then. And, uh, Back then, <clears throat> while we were sort of um, prepping to do it, like like if we were going to do it for season one, I had made a, a contact with Chavo Guerrero Jr. Uh, it was the first person I reached out to about it. Um, and he was just like a – he was super – such a great guy, such an amazing yeah, guy. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and he uh, saw our Bruiser Brody episode and, and really liked it and believed in us. Uh, to be able to tell the story. And so we, I started developing a relationship with him. And then after season one aired, or sorry, actually after season one was finished in between it airing and it, it, it uh, being finished, we kind of messed around with the idea of actually developing the Chris Benoit story, uh, you know, with somebody else, like, like, w- like what if we don't get a season two, you know, like we, we, we felt like it could be something we could do somewhere else in a different way. And so we had been thinking about, this story um, and researching it and developing it for months and months and months before we even started work on season two. So we had a big head start on thinking about it and, and, and developing relationships. And so as soon as we got the green light, we hit the ground running with Chavo and Chavo was just instrumental in um, introducing us to all the key players of the story, the people that, you know, really this affected in, 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 in major ways. And, and, and we could not have done it without him. He's actually a producer on the yeah. episode with us. Yeah. So he's, oh, really? he's yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Jason, if you want to throw down on that. Yeah. Well, like it, Chavo is extremely important and integral to it. Um, he even came with us when we did the interviews with, um, uh, Chris Benoit's son, David Benoit and Nancy Benoit's sister, Sandra, Mm-hmm. And um, and Chavo was there to and and to be an emotional support as well too, and to just help give guidance and be there for Sandra and David uh, through the process um, of telling the story. And so yeah, Chavo was just absolutely incredible to work with. And yeah, like Evan said, he just he opened all the doors for us to be able to tell the story. You yeah, know, I imagine he this, was. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was, was going to say that. Say, Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. Or Evan. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that, um, it, you know, it, it was also kind of a big seal of approval, uh-huh. uh, in terms of like, you know, him being a part of the project as well. Like, I think a lot of people involved in the project, you know, just, just, uh, it, it just really made the whole thing feel like this was the, the story being told by the inner circle. Like, we're all coming together to kind of tell the story together. So there was a very kind of unified, uh, feeling between everybody in it, you know, and I think, I think that was largely because of Chavo and, and, uh, creating that environment, you know? Yeah. So uh, you, you mentioned the, the, uh, emotional support there. Uh, how difficult was it for, for those two, especially in this particular story? Cause I don't imagine that they had, uh, opened up like this before. Uh, how, how you said that it was like to go through the process. And, and as you mentioned there, uh, Jason, that it sounds like it that was an experience in itself. Yeah, it was. It probably was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever 
been around, especially in, in um, this line of work, um, just seeing how Sandra and David were just um, like how they talk about it and how they're so like open to express their feelings about it. It's just incredibly brave. Like I've never um, uh, been around a situation like that before where um, people are talking about something that has um, affected their lives so much and in such a, and in such a terrible way. Um, but to like talk about it so openly so that we could all better kind of understand where they're coming from and, just having like a, I think like a better understanding of the whole situation, you know. Well, yeah, and, and to add on to that too, I think what also made it so so powerful and and also in, in the episode as well, and something you'll learn by seeing it, is that you know, since since the since the tragedy, since the events happened, um, you know, David and Sandra hadn't had much of a relationship or stayed in contact very much um, after that happened, um, and so this, you know. With, with you know, Chris Jericho played a huge role in kind of reconnecting them. Mm. Uh, I think about I, memory serves me correct, either a year or two ago ish, but they hadn't actually been in the same room as each other uh, since or, or since we did the filming. Like when we did the filming, that was the first time they'd been in the same room with each other since for I think 13 years. So mm. it was just a really uh, bringing all those emotions back for them was really heavy. But at the same time, I think it, the effect it's had, I think, for most people involved in the project, um, I don't want to speak for them, but just from my, just my, my, just from observing, it seems that it's been very cathartic to mm. be able to get it off your chest, to talk about it in, in, in a safe platform. And, um, you know, and I, I think that that's pot, I think like that's a good thing and that's a positive thing because the story has been, in the wrestling world than this thing that's just, you know, the thing you don't talk about and the thing you don't, yeah. you don't, you don't explore, you know, because it's, it's, it's yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, uh, the, the years have passed. I mean, it has been a while. Had they come in your opinion, uh, to any kind of peace or conclusion about why it happened? Because I know that that is the biggest question. Everybody going into watching this is, did they find an answer? Well, I think that it's again, it's hard to speak for them in, in that regard. I, I, I don't yeah. think so. Um, um, it's just I think it's just one of those things that's so complicated in terms of like the myriad of reasons uh, why. And I think one of the things that we wanted to show with our story is that, you know, as we look back at this story uh, 13 years later, you just look that it's a lot of different pieces a lot of different elements coming together that probably form th that can form a conclusion as to why this happened. It's not just one particular thing. You can't just blame steroids like the media did and, you know, originally, or you can't just blame, you know, maybe you, maybe you necessarily can't just blame CTE, you know, because now that we have a much more robust understanding of emotional mental health issues as well, which is a huge thing that Chris was suffering uh, you know, uh, and, and so much grief that, that, uh, he and Nancy both were going through with the loss of so many colleagues during yeah. that time, right. you know? And so it's just so many different things. When you add all these little elements together, something, something transpired in that, in that weekend, which caused just a total absolute breakdown. 
And, um, you know, and yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one specific thing, I think. Yeah. But you'll see too. It's like, it's, the story is very much like about like a, a healing process and that, you know, the healing process is still happening and will continue to, you know, happen. And you're, you're getting to see some of that process through, I, I think through our episode. You yeah. know, and, and this episode is, is two parts. And uh, why why the need for that, that as producers, you felt that? And then also, uh, how is one different from the other as far as it's just a continuing part of the story or is it a different perspective? Well, <clears throat> um, when I was mentioning earlier that we were developing it on the side prior to season two, right. um, we just – in researching the story, there was just no way we could tell the story in an hour just because it's uh. so it's so massive in, in terms of just all the different details. Um, <clears throat> and so when we when we presented it to to Vice that we wanted to do it for season two, it was like, guys, we could, if we're going to do it, we need to have at least two hours to tell the story. Um, so the episode is actually going to air on television essentially as one long film. You know, is, is how you're going to see it. You're you're you're, uh-huh. you're going to see it as basically it's I think it's just under 90 minutes because, uh, you know, just commercial time, right. you know, adds up to being two minutes, two hours of television. But, yeah. yeah, so we just knew that we needed that amount of time in order to fully explore this story so you can get the setup of, you know, who Chris was, who are the different characters that that have come in and out of this story, how our interview subjects relate to the story, how why they're so intimate into this story. And so you really can understand uh, what happened and, and, and really feel the loss of what happened and, 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 and also, you know, and all that stuff. So it was just something that we knew we needed to have two hours. Like it just, it was, it was it'd be yeah. impossible to do in one hour, I think. Yeah. And, and I tell you what just adds the intrigue of it is like I said before that, you know, Chris Benoit has basically been disappeared. Uh, you don't see him in anything uh, with the, uh, related to the WWE, you go on the network, uh, they actually have, you know, points where you blatantly see that he's disappeared from that, that clip. So I think that that's, uh, really piqued people's interest. And, and before we talk about some of the other episodes, uh, yeah. you had mentioned, um, that maybe you guys weren't ready to do it then. And I'm wondering what part, uh, part of it is that people seeing that first season, especially people you want to talk to, uh, saw those and said, you know what, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah. And I think that they can tell the story the right way is how much of did that come into play for this second season? Oh, so much. Like Evan said, like even just getting the connection with Chavo. I remember I, I went to uh, LA to the, the vice LA offices and showed him the, the bruiser Brody episode. And afterwards he was just so taken back by it. And his father was friends with Bruiser Brody. And so he knew all the stories. And and I think, like, he was just really impressed how we kind of, I think, um, like, got the nuances of, like, the blurred lines between, you know, uh, 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 fiction and uh, wrestling fiction and reality, you know. Right. And, and I think he just thought we balanced it so well, and he thought it was, like, a perspective into the wrestling world that um, was much needed and that we like, we got it in a sense. And mm-hmm. uh, we just, that really earned his trust. And, you know, um, 
and that and, and that always that always like uh, that Bruiser Brody episode really always <laughs> like kind of helped us along the way. Even when we were trying to uh, when we were with Kevin Von Erich and his family, and we were trying to get him on board with like our vision as to what the show was going to be, we just showed him a clip from the Bruiser Brody episode, and like he instantly got like this like obscure reference that we had for the sh- like the whole the whole show, which was uh, Errol Morse Errol Morse's documentary film. Uh, the Thin Blue Line. And he, when he saw the Bruiser Brody clip, he was like, oh, this is just like the Thin Blue Line. <laughs> and he, like, got it, you know, and he understood, like, what it was we were trying to do. And just, yeah, I think um, the success of the first uh, season and oh, yeah. uh, for people, to, big time. yeah, seeing yeah. what we can help. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, another thing that really stands out is you you two are wrestling fans uh, at heart, and mm-hmm. there's a respect for the business. And I think that uh, when someone would hear something like Dark Side of the Ring, it's like, oh boy, they're just gonna they're gonna tear down this business, you know, and make it. <laughs> and, and and really, but uh, you you humanize these guys, you 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 uh, bring across that they're like everyone else, and and these are guys that people just idolized. But they had their failings too, and and that's what I think that really comes through a a, a well, real thanks. respect for yeah, uh, wrestling, and, and uh, that, yeah, that's what I think that's led to the success so far. Um, I don't know the um, the order of these. I hope that we're we're uh, way they're lined up here, but it doesn't matter. Uh, one I I really I cannot wait to see is the assassination of Dino Bravo, <laughs> because uh, I worked with Dino quite a bit that's back right. in yeah. the uh, the 80s. That's we right. talked about, and I know this is something you wanted to do last season. So uh, tell me about putting this one together and uh, and how sure. the story all played out. Well, uh, the Dino Bravo episode was one that we filmed a majority of for during season one. Actually, right. it was one of the episodes that unfortunately had to be put on the back burner if and when we got another season. But um, yeah, it's, it's such a fascinating story in terms of, you know, when you look at here's a wrestler who in his prime was a huge star in, in Montreal, you know, where he's from. And then he comes to the WWF more towards the, towards the end of his career. And he doesn't quite make a huge impression in, in, on the world stage with the WWF. And then he, he gets let go. Um, and he doesn't really have a backup plan in place for his post wrestling kind of career. Mm-hmm. And he has a, he has a, uh, you know, a lifestyle that he's used to, a level of income that he's used to, and he's looking to supplement that. And he turns to the world of organized crime, a, you know, or illicit business. And, and that's basically the most of what we know you know, in, in terms of wh- where he turned after wrestling. And then he kind of went down this path, unfortunately, that that wound up being his ultimate demise, where he was actually executed, he was killed in his home, you know, yeah. when his family was away. And then it kind of just left this mystery. I mean, it, it basically was covered in the newspapers like once or twice when it happened, like locally. And then no evidence really, like no real concrete evidence of who did it, you know, and why, uh, came, came out, you know, like came out after that. Like it was basically just kind of faded away. And so what we wanted to do with the episode is we wanted to obviously touch on his wrestling career because it's not one that a lot of modern day fans know about. And then we also wanted to, uh, you know, speak to his family. So you're going to see, uh, his widow and you're going to see his daughter in the episode. And they talk about Dino as, as a father and as a husband. And then we just talked to a lot of the wrestlers who kind of came up in the business with him 
and some and then also um, a couple of experts in terms of what the organized crime world was like in Montreal at the time, because it was a hotbed for that. And the other fascinating thing about the case is that the case is still open. The case has never been closed. It's still a cold case. So unlike some of the other episodes that we deal with, this one, we didn't get any we didn't get any cooperation from the authorities. So whatever information they have is something that's inaccessible to us. So we basically were just on our own doing our own detective work in terms of piecing together kind of what happened. Uh, But it it was a tricky one because Mm -hmm. of that fact, you know, and a lot of people don't necessarily want to open up to you when it involves uh, organized crime. Let's just say. Yeah. Is that, uh, and, and did you guys ex- experience that? Why you think it was that, I mean, after, you know, all this time that, uh, law enforcement there would not want to help? Uh, is, is it, you think there's cause of the connections, uh, still no, I, after all this time or? I think that, I think just, just because of for, like on the end of the law enforcement, like the re, like the actual reason they give is that it's still an open case. Yeah. So they can't give you information or anything. And it is. the But, Canadian, but you know, they can't. know, don't you think they know? I mean, who's pretty much who is behind it? They may not have the the guy yeah. who pulled the trigger because they I mean, it's exactly. rumored that he knew the guy because the right guy got in the house or uh, whoever it was, was not didn't break a door down. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, didn't come in through a window. So uh, it, it's that uh, you think that that had a lot to do with it, with the connections there? I mean, it's 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 tricky because what we tried to do um, is we tried to look at, um, you know, because basically like the most uh, prevailing theory is just that, you know, he was involved in the uh, smuggling of a, like, you know, contraband cigarettes, essentially, cigarettes yeah, right. which was an operation that involved a lot of different groups um, in, you know, across across the, the border and also in Quebec. So. When you look at like who's responsible, it's really tricky because it could involve one of three or four different groups or like a couple of groups in tandem with each other when one puts out a hit and then the other executes hit, you know, so it's 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 a it's like a dizzying, you know, kind of mob tragedy story mixed up with wrestling. It's kind of like a film noir story almost. Mm-hmm. You know, of this guy who once was this great wrestler and then, you know, he has this 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 downfall and a hail of bullets. You know, it's it's wild. Well, you have to wonder, too, because Dino was a huge popular figure there. I mean, uh, huge. Hulk Hogan had to lose to him to to, to get out of town. Uh, Oh, yeah. There's this like there's incredible stories in Montreal, too, that you hear of like like he was like a massive Montreal Canadiens fan. Like yeah. to the point where he got, I think his like season tickets right behind the box of the Quebec Nordiques, who uh, were the rivals of the Montreal Canadiens, and he hated the Quebec Nordiques. And there's like some story written about in Montreal where he got in like in a physical like altercation with the coach of uh, the Quebec Nordiques <laughs> like during a hockey game. Um, and there's a really great story where he. Uh, he fights a Quebec Nordiques hockey player in our episode. Yeah, you'll see oh that. I can't wait to I can't wait to hear that. You, you said you talked with his family members. How did you arrange that, and what was that experience like? Because uh, I, I would wonder if they were uh, at least hesitant to talk initially, or how did mm-hmm. that all happen? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Basically, um, uh, when we filmed it originally in season one, we because. 
this year we shot new interviews for it, but when we shot it originally, we had talked to Dino's uh, daughter, uh, who was who was um, open with us. We actually went out to Montreal and hung out with her, I believe, for uh, on, on, like on a trip with no cameras, which is something that we, we also do a lot. And uh, she was great. She's amazing. She's yeah. super, super cool. She looks just like Dino, actually, too. You'll see yeah. in the episode. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and she was super, super cool. And then um, but she told us originally that her mother was very hesitant to participate. She hasn't really done any interviews. I think she's only ever done one interview in like a local paper on the story. And so she had never done it. And then when we came back around for season two, it was kind of like, can we just ask your mom one more time? Like, and see if, if maybe she'd be in, like into it. And then we actually were able to make that happen. And, uh, she, she did finally do the interview with us, which was, which added so much to the story because yeah. you really realize that, you know, their relationship and what their relationship was like and how they really didn't hide much from each other. And that's kind of a, a shocking thing was that they they both you know were kind of aware of the world he was getting into um and and um but ultimately you know there's aspects of I think him being a little in over his head or whatever you know um but it just it just adds so much to the story to be able to have someone who knew him so closely and observed this kind of happening you know um so that just added so much it just adds so much to the story to have that yeah and when you just get you get to see Dino like the, the like being a, like a family man and a father yeah. and a husband. And that's just like a side, like I've never, you, you never seen before. You wouldn't Papa. think you'd see. Yeah. 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 And it's like, it's very genuine and it's very sweet. Like when you see the photos of Dino and his daughter at like Disneyland together, and <laughs> yeah. just like, it's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's really sad, but yeah. It's a tragedy. Uh, yeah. Um, and that's, uh, you know, uh, it sounds, at least what you're saying, that he didn't really get deeply involved in, uh, you know, this type of business until later. Mm-hmm. He did have family connections. And did he, you know, have any dealings with them earlier on when he was, uh, you know, wrestling? Because, I, I mean, I think I told you guys before, he always seemed troubled to me. I mean, he always uh, he chewed his nails, I just remember, and, you know, thinking, wow. here's this guy this big and uh, – you know, he just always seemed uh, at, at ill at ease and uh, like something was troubling him. So I, I'm really interested to find out more about that and what what else was going on in his life then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, you will definitely see some of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, that that is one of the pieces of it is that, you know, through marriage, his 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 family, you know, was basically married into the mob, um, essentially. Um, but it's it also could be one of the more misleading parts of the story because you know there are other players there are other Mm -hmm. players and other gangs and other uh, other other outfits that were dealing in this kind of trade um and so it's it's hard to know it's hard to know where the connection exactly comes from but also it is a coincidence or it could be coincidence or it could not be coincidence yeah well i tell you i I can't wait to see that episode i don't I don't know is it is it going to be the second episode because I, I don't care I'll be watching all of them but um you know it's it's the it's it's uh it's tough to keep them straight because the way in which we produce them doesn't wind up being the episode order and I haven't fully ma- like like memorized what the episode yeah. ordering is yeah. um but I I think it's in the middle I think it's like in the middle of the run okay. yeah uh, I'll, I can wait a little longer if I okay. have to. Uh, <laughs> the other ones uh, are good too. Yeah, really? <laughs> I have a feeling they are. Uh, uh, I'll just go down the list of the brawl for all, and we don't have to talk a whole lot about this, but it was certainly yeah. an interesting 
experiment, I think we'll call it. But I, I, you know, when, when, uh, I even, when I heard about this, I was thinking, isn't there somebody who's raising his hand saying, guys, this is not a good idea. That's kind of what the episode's about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like who did, nobody just didn't say anything. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I was saying this the other day and you know, I've gotten a lot of messages and a lot of tweets and DMs or whatever about this episode of like, what's dark about the brawl for all or, 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 or people really like, you know, saying like, um, you know, like, like one of these isn't like the other, you know, in terms of this, why we picked this story and, um, or Or, how does he get an hour out of the brawl for all, Um, you know, and, and for me, I'm like, you know, if you're outside, if you look outside of the wrestling bubble, it's a dark story, man. Because it you you have these guys, I mean wrestlers as we know risk their bodies so much yes. you know for this business it's such a high risk business yeah. and you know it doesn't always reward the person in the ring right so <clears throat> when you look at this as like okay you know you have this ratings war between these two companies how are we going to get the edge how are we going to make money and you know and and then of course we have all this talent that we're not using and who's underutilized. Let's let's kind of dangle a carrot and say, hey, you guys want to get in there and fight for real and bring guys completely out of their element, yeah. you know, and they kind of really don't know what they're getting involved in. And then you just see basically these guys like colleagues, like, you know, actual work co- colleagues getting in there and just smacking each other in the face and, and, and getting horrifyingly knocked injured, yeah. knocked yeah. out, injured, you know, things, you know, being retired, uh, you know, and all this stuff. And it's really dark to watch because it really feels like. You know, it's just, I don't know, something about it makes me feel un- uneasy, you know, the whole concept of it. But at the same time, I think it also deals with one of the themes that we look at, which is uh, when the concept of reality and wrestling kind of right. intertwine and, and it becomes yeah. weird avant-garde theater. And that this is really kind of one of those one of those moments. Yeah. And to like <clears throat> ask your audience to like believe in these like work matches and then all of a sudden throw like a real like shoot fight. Yeah. Amongst them is a, such a weird way to. Um, I remember watching it when it came out. I yeah, remember when uh, it was on TV and be like, I don't understand what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah. are they trying to destroy their business at the same time? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it yeah. is. It's 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 like a it, it's a car wreck. It's going to Indy and just waiting for the 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 pileup because you, you know it's just going to get uglier and it's almost where and then they were into it and you know what they had to say you know this is off. But we gotta we gotta finish it. We gotta <laughs> see it through. And that's what? the other thing too about it that that is 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 so, it is cinematic, like cinematically tragic. Is when you look at the story, it's like I could see this in a in a movie too. It's like you have a guy like Bart Gunn, you know, spoiler alert, he wins the tournament. But you have a guy who like they didn't plan on winning. And yeah, like no wins. one believed in in him. Like no one yeah, thought like could possibly not go to any of these guys. Which is a great underdog story, but he, he like gets in, he beats everybody, he knocks everybody out, he wins, and then he thinks that like, okay, well, th- this was my moment to become a star, right? And they're like, no, you're gonna sit at home, and then, oh, we just got, oh, we got this opportunity for you at WrestleMania. How about like getting your head like caved in by this yeah. guy named Butterbean? You know, right. and like destroy We're just gonna completely career. destroy you, yeah. and then even oh, make yeah. it look worse. Like here you went, and you just yeah. breathed yeah. through all these guys. And then he comes in and just lights out. I mean, yeah, it is all, I, that that is a car wreck. I can't. I really I can't wait to see that one either because yeah. 
uh, it is. It's just like somebody needed to stop it. Somebody needed to throw a towel in somewhere, and it just all the towels never happened. Yeah. All right. Uh, the the uh, the other one I'm really interested in too is uh, is uh, New Jack because I know nothing about New Jack. I really didn't uh, know anything about his career. Well, then and, I I'm very excited for you to see it and yeah, and, and yeah. react to it. Um, that I think is the second episode, if I'm not correct. If I think I'm wrong, I think that's the second one in the in the airing order. Um, and why why New Jack? What was it that intrigued you guys so much about this story? Well. Uh, it, it was real high up on the request list. Um, really? Yeah, and I don't think it was one that we ever really considered doing necessarily. Like, you know, like in the right, like yeah, no, one, it was kind of off our. I mean, I knew New Jack growing up, yeah. and like you know, but um, it was like a lot of people wanted us to do the story of mass transit, and it was like, can it, can that like story last like an hour? But then we realized it's there's not only the story of mass transit, there's all these other well, major events in his life that are yeah. equally or even more crazy than the, the mass transit. Yeah. Incident. yeah. Well, Do you know I what think... the mass transit incident is, Sean? No. I okay. Know. Yeah. Well, maybe we should explain. Sorry. Um, I, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically this, this, this very uh, crazy moment that happened in ECW where, um, they were doing a ma- they were they had a local match in Massachusetts and there was this basically novice wrestler maybe wrestled a handful of times he was he was this this kid i think he was like 17 or something and yeah. he lied about his age and said he was like 20 something and he basically talked his way onto the card um and when one of the ECW wrestlers couldn't make the show and then they they basically booked him in a match with New Jack and this kid being super green, he goes up to New Jack and he's like, hey, my dad's in the audience. Do you mind if I get a couple of good shots in on you? Can I put you through a table? And New Jack being New Jack is like, yes. uh, you know, hell yeah. Me. And he wanted to get color as well, too. Oh, yeah. Sorry. He wanted to get blood in the match. And he's like, I've, I've never done it myself. And I'm wondering if you do it for me. And then New Jack's like, I got you. And then yes. basically in the middle of this match, he he beats this kid to a pulp and then he like you know basically cuts his like forehead like 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 this and like it's this it's this it's this crazy violent um assault in the ring and uh it 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 escalated to a court case it became something that was um on local news and everything and it became this kind of thing and for us it's a story to look at of like where do you draw the line between like working in the ring and like actually assaulting somebody, (laughs) you know? And then like, then we kind of look into that. There's some pattern behavior in that regard with new Jack and some, some other matches. And, um, but also at the same time, he comes from this really difficult past. And then, you know, him coming up through the business and smoky mountain wrestling as this extremely provocative cutting edge, like, you know, sociopolitical satire character of like, you know, he's basically playing this character that's like born out of like gangster rap and like the LA riot scene. And it's kind of an amazing commentary on all that at the same time, intentional or not. And, and he's just one of the more cutting edge characters in nineties wrestling, I think. And then it just kind of escalates into his whole story just escalates into these moments in the ring that you won't believe that happens yeah. <laughs> between him and other people. So yeah, it's, he, it's was, a, he was yeah. well known for destroying people, but at the same time, there is like you talk about blurring that line. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
obviously it wasn't that line wasn't that blurry for him. But yeah, uh, right. like at with, the same with, time though, there is that kind of unwritten law. If somebody goes in yeah. there and they yeah. don't respect the business, or you, you know, if you're an idiot uh, enough of uh, you know a fan to step into the ring. Uh, whatever yeah. happens to you in there is is uh, it, it ain't against the law because you yeah. you you stepped in. Right, exactly. So that episode is um, it's definitely I think one of my low key favorite episodes that we've yeah. done so far. Um, just because his interview is incredible. Oh, it's so good. One of the best really? interviews. Oh. He's very open about everything. And he's just he's such a good interview. He's, he's a great storyteller too. He's a good storyteller. And it was just, uh, yeah, man, it was, yeah, it's really good. And there's an interesting cast of characters in the episode that you'll see. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, how did he defend that? Or did he? Or how, how did he? Uh, well, it's not really his, too much away. Yeah, it's not really his style to defend it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's you know, yeah, that that's kind of yeah. one of the things. I, I think what I'll say without really spoiling it is just that, like, it's really where do, where do you, where does it end between him being, you know, Jerome Young, that's his real name, and and where does the line between Jerome Young start and or that end and New Jack start, you yeah. know, and it's kind of like you know, at some point in time did New Jack take over Jerome Young? And I think that's really kind of one of the things that we look at in the episode. Yeah, he even said to us, he's like, I came into this building as New Jack, and I'll leave <laughs> yeah. this building as New Jack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All okay, right. yeah. still yeah. there. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, another one that's right along those lines is uh, Dr. David Schultz, who uh, was another guy that, uh, I mean, I know his story uh, pretty well. And, uh, of course, if, you know, mainstream with John Stossel, they still talk about that to this day. But there's there's a lot more to uh, Dr. David Schultz uh, than than uh, than just that story, because, uh, you know, not only leading up to that, but here you have somebody who, felt that he was defending the business and then it basically turns its back on him. I mean, that's basically it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the, uh, it's the fall guy story of wrestling. You know, here's a guy who's wrestling's greatest defender during the kayfabe era. And, you know, basically no one would defend that wrestling better than him in a lot of ways. Cause he is the, the real, one of the realest wrestlers out there, one of the most believable wrestlers out yeah. there, you know? Um, and and then of course you know he's caught up in this in this whole um, this whole controversy and this whole uh, moment with John Stossel where he slaps John Stossel for asking him if you know he's saying that he thinks wrestling is fake. Yeah. And then of course you know when lawsuits happen and when certain things happen you know Schultz is, winds up kind of being the fall guy for it. Um, and so that for us was that's funny because that episode wasn't one that was requested by fans. How we came to that one was I got two separate phone calls from two different people who basically told me um, David Schultz is ready to talk now. You know, you know, <laughs> Dr. D is ready to tell Dr. the story D, now. David Schultz, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and like, oh, really? And then, and then it was kind of like that. It, it came, he came to us, actually, which was really cool. So then it was like, all right. And he's one of two people that came to us to do a, uh -huh. to do a, a story of the season. Um, and, and that was great. And so then we just, you know, and, and, and Jason and I traveled down to remote Tennessee to where he lives and it was an unforgettable experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. He has like this whole compound, uh, that he has set up that him and his wife live on. It's like totally off the grid and they've got these like really cool like storage lockers just filled with like 
amazing like wrestling memorabilia from like his past. And um, he was just such a trip. He was just like so wise. And um, yeah, for us to like to just be with anyone who was like really good friends with like Bruiser Brody and -hmm. walk around with him during that time period and that era of wrestling is just like, I don't know. To me, that's kind of like it's like a gift, and it was like really special for like just to spend like two days with him and just like hear his stories, and then just like just just talk. Like he was one of the few people that we did get to spend like actually like two days with, and so we just got to talk about a lot of things other than wrestling and just like his perspective on life. And um, he just lives like a really good life. He's just like really healthy. He works like you know. Nonstop works out, works like throughout the night. His like hours are like from like, <laughs> like 10 until like 6 a.m. Um, he's, uh, doing what? Well, well he's, like, he's, he's like a sixth or seventh generation cotton picker. Like his, like cotton picking is like, was always in his family and that's what he still does like to this day. Um, huh. and, uh, so drives yeah, he trucks, drives trucks. He drives, yeah, he drives trucks and he's just like the way that he comes off in the episode. It's like, He's just this incredible, likable, wise guy. Huh. It's 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 really? very and it's very uh con- so contrasted I think from what you might what you right. remember him as from that moment and and from other moments. He just comes off as a very chilled out kind of like wise in his older years, and he's really cool. He's just so cool. Yeah, so he cool. kind of looks like the Moses of wrestling right he now. He does. <laughs> <laughs> like when you see him, he's just like has this huge white beard and all this white hair, but he's like, True. he's super healthy and just like so cool. quick witted. Yeah, he was, he was awesome. And the so, one thing I will say just real quick yeah. on that to tie the yeah. knot on that is, you know, it's, it's, it's also exciting because, you know, you're, you're going to be able to hear from John Stossel on that episode as well. So yeah. really, he can't, yeah. oh, that's, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> and, and so all, all this time later, um, how is, uh, since you did speak with Stossel too, I'd like to hear uh, what you, you know, gathered from him. But does uh, David Schultz feel that the business betrayed him? Is is he let it go? Uh, what is? How is that set with him? I think it's it, it's definitely something that still weighs on him for sure. Um, you know, it, it's it's I think wrestling. What is his passion? Even if he sometimes wakes up one day and tells you it's not. Um, I think it is. I think it is the thing that was the most important to him that he was the best at and, 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 you know, gave him so much. And yeah. I think he, I think he does career. feel betrayed. And, um, I think it's, he is kind of a victim of s- circumstance and of his time, you know, mm-hmm. like obviously like it'd be so different now, you know, like obviously it's just a, such a different time period. It's like he was right on that cusp between when the WWF, was like still that kind of like, you know, not operating on major television and like, you know, it wasn't quite the cartoon like for kids, like, you know, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Like it was still in that transition from territory era to the mainstream and he falls like right on that line. And I don't think that David is necessarily would have been the guy that would have fit really well with that era of the wwf you know what i mean yeah yeah i don't think he would have because i don't think he would have liked where it would have gone you know um so i think he's a little bit of a victim of that of his time and circumstance but in his prime you know one of the best and he did comment on you know that he that this made this whole thing that happened made him really lose the thing that he cares the most about you know i mean that is that is what 
happened, you know. So. And how about Stossel? <laughs> um, man, it's gonna be fun for you to see him. Yeah, and, I was uh, gonna say I'm I'm really I'm sh- I'm just uh, astounded that he agreed to to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's he's good in it. He's a good heel in the episode for sure. <laughs> Is um, he? Yeah, he's a little bit of a heel in there, but he's 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 also like, you know, it's just it's just. Like, I, I just remember when we were filming it and be like, oh, boy, this is going to be real good to cut from David to John to David yeah. to John and just to hear how this whole thing kind of unfolds. So that that's really entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's Ooh. cool. Uh, and, and I really find it how uh, very interesting how you talk about that. That was a time that, you know, it was changing. And I came yeah. in. I was somebody from the outside. I mean, I right. was clearly. And, uh, you know, the world, the cafe world, uh, cafe world still existed very much so. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. And, you know, and, uh, with the carny, you'd walk in the locker room initially and before I was <laughs> let into the, the, you know, the brotherhood, the uh, yeah, the brotherhood. Yeah. You, they would, you know, start speaking carny or whatever. And there were a lot <laughs> that even when it happened and they knew, you know, they always transitioned because that you had to keep making a living, but you know, it never set well with them. And, uh, no. and they, and they, and they loved the fact that it was that kind of a world that, that they lived in that nobody else, yeah. you had to really fight your way in and well, to see other yeah. people be able to slip through that door without paying the price that they had. Right. Uh, and that's another part of the story too. Yeah. And, 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 and also one, one of the other things about it too is very interesting as you look at the history of kind of the mindset that if the business is exposed by the media, it's going to affect our business monetarily. Like it, right. it's going to be, people aren't going to want to see it anymore, you know, which is obviously Vince McMahon proved everyone wrong in that regard, yeah. you know, but, but for decades and decades and decades, that was the belief because when wrestling was exposed in, in New York mainstream newspapers in the thirties, I think it was the late thirties, when it was exposed as a hoax and you're, and, and you're getting cheated out of your money, Madison square garden didn't book wrestling for like 15 plus years, yeah. maybe even more, you know? So that was the belief that these guys carried around for so many years was like, I have to maintain this or else it's going to affect the way that I eat and make money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 the episode, and I'm really uh, amazed that you were able to put this together and I'm, I'm interested to see how deep you, you were able to, to go is with, uh, with Jimmy Snuka. Mm-hmm. Because up until his his death, uh, it was still, yeah, he did it. Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, and and they I think were ready to press charges, but he was, you know, not there anymore, even though right. he was breathing. So, uh, how did you guys put that one together, and who did you get to talk to? You? Oh, yeah. it's it's. Uh, I mean, Jason. I mean, we can. We're we're in the middle of fin- just putting the finishing touches on it. I literally just right. ran from editing that over here. So we can- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fresh in our minds. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. And then after this, we got to go right back to it. So we got to fix that one. <laughs> yeah. No, um, but uh, no, it's it's um, it's 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 one of the most complicated stories, I think. Yeah. Wouldn't you say it's the most yeah, complicated story of the season? Maybe. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is because I think it has the most people. Maybe, maybe the Benoit episode does because it's so long. But I think it might have the most people uh, that we've interviewed for this episode. Um, and it's it's basically just like, and it's also 
sobering to look at, unfortunately, that a lot of the people who a lot of the wrestlers who were around in 1983 on the WWF roster aren't with us any longer. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. a lot. And yeah. and it's it was tough for us to kind of find. Um, but we got a few. But, you know, some for some people that were there. But also it's a very complicated story because it's, it is, you know, um, going back 35 well, now 37 years ago, I guess. Right. Or is that right? Am I doing my math right? I think so. And yeah. so it's like it's 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 tough because, um, you know, it is a story where there was never really any closure on it, even when it ha- when right. it happened. And then when it even was brought back 30 years later, they're just the, the closure on that story never existed. We never got to have that where there there was a witness or there was somebody who could definitively say or someone saw something or whatever. So it is a complicated story to tell in that regard or to even wrap your head around because you're kind of looking at the evidence that's there or evidence or just, you know, statements or whatever, what happened at the time. And so we kind of look at um, what we can best piece together of what happened in 1983 and then kind of what came to light in 2000, uh, I think it was 13 and, and, and kind of pinning those against each other. And then it, it really is, unfortunately, because of that lack of closure. I mean, you really do have to kind of form your own opinion. And yeah, a I was lot gonna of, say, you don't really things. walk away. You're still one uh, guessing. I mean, did it really happen? Uh, did members of, uh, Nancy Argento's, uh, Argentino, talk with you guys yeah we we spoke with both of uh, her sisters uh louise and lorraine um and uh we worked very very closely with them um and they they were awesome enough to like trust us with uh telling their story and they never i believe spoken about it publicly before and so um i think hearing their side of the story i think for the first time is a uh, it's really valuable because we never really have heard nancy's side of the story and our sisters are I, I we believe we're like the best ones to help tell that story of course yeah and how Go were ahead. you able to keep that balance though because uh you're trying to remain objective mm-hmm. uh to to make it so you're telling both sides was yeah. that was that difficult or but you know it sounds like you said you're, you're still going to walk away from this not really knowing itself yeah, well, I mean, there there are a lot of voices that 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 do balance it out. I mean, you do have like kind of the Nancy Nancy's or the Argentino family side of the story because they're the ones that really, you know, pursued charges against him, yeah. you know, towards the end of his life. Um, <clears throat> and then you know you 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 do have um, uh, Snuka's widow who was with him for for twenty years, um, uh, or for the last twenty years of his life, I should say. And then um, you have Don Morocco is in the episode and he talks about, uh, you know, um, you know, being present at that at that time period around when that was happening. There's um, uh, the, the uh, Tonga kid tells, you know, he, he was a big a big uh, defender of Jimmy during the time when the case happened. And, and he was present around the area when that happened. And then, you know, a bunch of slew of different uh, journalists that we spoke to. Uh, for this uh, case who have covered it in many, many different ways. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like dizzying to even like talk about because there's so much information and, and, and so much um, different stories and things change over the course of, you know, as, as the decades go on and you really have to kind of rely on the memories of, it's kind of like the Brody story when we did that one. So okay. you're kind of relying on the memories of, 
of wrestlers, you know, 30, 30 plus years banged. ago. Yeah, and had their head banged. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. But yeah, yeah well, I mean, I mean and, that's certainly and, part uh, of it, and they're older. It is, cer- it is yeah. certainly part of it. It is certainly part and, of it. And, and any person, and, yeah. really, you ask somebody that something that happened 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. Of course. Uh, but I did so, want to ask you, how did um, sure. his fame play into this uh, oh. back then as far as allowing him, uh, I don't know, some a lot of leeway? I mean, a lot of years before it was to a point where they, they actually looked at this case seriously. Well, there's a couple different instances where you see it in the case. Um, <clears throat> one one is um, when the police interview Snuka um, uh, for the first time. Uh, the, the morning after she passes away, um, you can tell from the police transcripts that they recognize him from television, you know, which is pretty interesting. And um, a couple other times, th- th- there's actually an, an, an incident that occurred between Nancy and Jimmy uh, several months prior to when she passed away, when they were at a motel uh, just outside Syracuse, New York, uh, that that escalated into kind of a domestic situation. Police were called. Police dogs were called in. Yeah. It's a pretty crazy scene. Yeah. Um, and then and then from that, basically using his influence as a uh, celebrity, he was basically able to get free from charges by, you know, by um, apologizing formally uh, and uh, ho- I think hosting a match locally. He, he, he was, he like participated in a, ma- in like a charity match where he raised money for a Ronald McDonald house and was able to basically get away from, uh, cause he was, he was, he was charged for like assault, uh, for that incident towards Nancy. And like, then you, your mind starts thinking like, well, what if, you know, those charges stuck, you know, what yeah. would happen to her? Yeah. So you just think about those sort of things and how celebrity does play into it. And then, of course, you know, Jimmy is the biggest star on the one of one of one of, if not the biggest star at the time on the roster. And so you have to imagine, you know, um, protecting the, or like the WWF protecting their biggest star um, right. in, in, in terms of like, you know, like, you know, if your biggest star is being charged with murder, that's a big deal. And, you know, and, and we got to figure out how we're going to handle that. So there's a lot of different ways in which his celebrity does weave into this story. But I yeah. do think. I'll just say this last part. I, I do think a big part of the story, too, is um, and something that we touch on is that if you look at when this happened in 1983, I also do think one of the things that's tragic about the story is the fact that you're looking at the way kind of like how a death of a woman is handled in 1983, like someone who was just kind of written off as, oh, this is just a a. Uh, this is just his, his girlfriend or someone coming through our town and we don't, you know, really, you know, like I think that the way that that was perceived at the time is so much different than how we would have how how we address domestic violence issues that, today yeah, and, yeah. and, and and that. And I think that, again, it's 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 a tragedy of of of, of its time as well. And that's a whole nother avenue onto the story. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, as well. So that's what also makes did, it so. Big. Did he have documented uh, a documented history of domestic violence prior to that? That well, is, I mean, is part of this or? No? I mean, this the, the 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 incident I'm talking about in Syracuse is there is document. I mean, that's official documentation of that. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened. Um, you know, um, and, and 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 the sad part about that is, um. Uh, that, you know, and in those police documents is that you actually see a handwritten letter from Nancy Argentino, who's actually uh, absolves him from those charges where she basically says, 
you know, he didn't do this to me. He didn't do that, you know, and, 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 and she, she's like, oh, he never did this. And, and you can tell that it's, it's just sad when you see something like that, you know. Um, yeah. But there are other people that have come forward and there were people that were subpoenaed in the grand jury case uh, that had previously been with him that had, that had alleged that behavior. But then again, you talk to someone like Carol Snuka, who knew was with him for 20 years, and she said that he never laid a hand on me and he was the sweetest guy of all time. So, you know, it's again, it's one of those things yeah, where right. was that was that just a dark time in his life or or or, mm-hmm. or a period in his life? You know, you don't you don't know. We weren't there, but we can use our best judgment in looking at what's on record. You know, yeah, it looks like it's uh, going to be up to the viewer's discretion uh, to decide mm-hmm. how that one ends. Uh, mm-hmm. Why do I feel like this one is personal for you guys even more so when we're talking about the Road Warriors? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, two big favorites of mine, Joe Laurinaitis and, and Mike Hegstrand, uh, really, uh, when you talk about tag teams, and especially back at the time when, of their their uh, their peak, their glory, uh, tag teams were king in wrestling. I mean, there was, yeah. uh, you know, they were as, uh, up on the card as, uh, you know, a singles match. Uh, why these guys? <laughs> Jason, go for it. Well, yeah. uh, tag me in. <laughs> I I don't think this was necessarily something that like was on the list of like what the fans were demanding. But um, Joe, uh, who was Animal, actually came up to Evan. I think at a convention and and uh, you make the dark him. side of the ring. That's pretty yeah. much what it was. And it was like yeah, you got to do one on the Road Warriors, man. <laughs> you know, and I was like, definitely. Yeah, because yeah. we Evan and I have. I think since we were both kids, we were huge fans of the Road Warriors. And probably because we were at that right age when we were kids, that they, unlike, kind of unlike any other wrestler, they look like real life action figures. Yeah. Like yeah. The actual, like, aesthetic of, like, yeah. their Like, when they did the bodies, they didn't have to, you know, do the extra little build. You know, yeah. you've seen some of these wrestlers are like, he doesn't look like that in person. They did. I mean, they, yeah. they did. They, oh, they they look better than the figures. Oh, they did. Yeah. They just yeah. look so cool. Yeah. And, like, the pop that they get in their entrance when they come out is just, like, it's just the most electrifying feeling. Like, I wish I could have been. Like, I mm. wish I could go back to witness what it would have been like in the early 80s seeing a Road Warriors pop with, like, the, the <laughs> Black Sabbath, like, track, like, just, like, echoing through, like, an arena. Um, so, yeah, for Evan and I, it was, like, a really big deal. We just got to shoot the reenactments where our costume designer did, yeah. like, an amazing job, like, creating the pads. And I think, like, ever since we first came up with the concept – of Dark Side of the Ring, we just had this image of like a backlit like hawk and animal like back to back with like a big <laughs> backlight, you know, with all the spikes. the light shafts like cutting yeah. through their sha- like the, the through their spikes. And so yeah, in a big way, it was like this is kind of a way to do a big like puff piece about <laughs> yeah. um, our favorite like tag team, but also to like like let's get really um, you know behind. Uh, this, this duo and like now that like Hawk is gone like how does someone like Animal whose like identity is like associated with Hawk in this in this for in life. this tag yeah. team you know in for life, life yeah. how do you move on when that side of your identity is gone and um and so that was like you know the like the heart of the story um and so yeah that, that it's a yeah we're really excited <laughs> getting that it one is- as a 
I I will say because I, I just watched it. I just watched it right before this we got on with you because um, I, I was just watching the cut and it, it made me laugh because um, this this really does feel like just like us like you know like we, we love the road warriors we always love the road warriors we collect road warriors everything like yeah. it's, it's our oh, favorite yeah. like aesthetic in wrestling is that kind yeah. of like you know like heavy metal you know meets wrestling thing and like we um i was just laughing because there's like this scene in in the in the episode that we did which is just like what you'll what you'll see like this is why you know how much we love this we like dedicated this whole like sequence to like joe building the actual uh pads you know yeah. where he's like you know he's like like in his interview he's just like yeah i was in my garage and this guy gave me some spikes and i hammered him into the pads and that's the pads <laughs> but like in, in in our reenactments it's like you just see this like this like scene of like you know joe like putting on a welding mask and like grinding <laughs> down the spike yeah we like, like fetishized like, the, like, say, out of it. yeah. <laughs> it's the most fetishized version of the road warriors story because it's just like yeah. you know we just imagine it being this like you know like everything taking place yeah. in like this mad max universe where they're like creating their yeah that's what's like and... so cool about the road warriors is because it's like they when they come out the door it's like they bring the universe their universe with them like with them you know and so yeah. that's what we wanted to do in the episode a little bit artistically it was just like let's go into that universe a little bit like let's lean into that because it's uh it's very i don't know in a way like very poetic like with the road warriors it is yeah. Well, and and you look at those two really. Uh, when they took the scene, uh, they blew the doors off. Any but people had seen powerful uh, humans in the ring before, but nothing like these guys. Uh, yeah. You know, I used to be just amazed at how you know Mike would pick somebody up. Yeah. Uh, and and people don't know if you've ever tried to carry a a body. It's not like picking up weights because <laughs> the weights don't move. You know, the body is it's a big sack, and he would pick these guys up. Like they were nothing, like it was a 10-pound bag I know. of potatoes. <laughs> and yeah. just the, the human force of them. And, you know, like Joe tells the story, man, when he got his uh, his eye, you know, bulged out of his socket. And, you know, who could survive that anyway? And then the next day he's bench pressing 500 pounds. Oh, you know? I know, and, it's and, crazy. and when I think of those guys, really, and Mike especially, because I just loved his voice. You know, like, yeah. oh, um, what a rush. You know, like that. Well. And, yeah. Well. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and then he would go into these, you know, the one, the, the, the you know, lobotomy is happening. The, yeah. The, the oh, ice man. Yeah. Is, you know, and, the, you know, it's cut, cut, you didn't see people like that and that size who could cut a promo like yeah. that. No. You know, the way they. It's, and uh, I'm glad that I saw them in their prime because yeah. so, I know so, when, when Mike and I know this, this becomes part of the dark side is what happened to him in his spiral and and to hear people and and joe uh and talking with joe of how he became weaker you know and he wasn't that uh that force right uh i think would have been just horrific to watch but what a story and like you said it's great what you said that about you know with with joe it, it it's his identity it will be his it's who he is for his life and that half is gone exactly Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's, it's like, it's really interesting too. It's like, like you were saying, Hawk's performance and his uh, persona is just so larger than life. It's so energetic. And as a kid, like, and even up until recently, all I've ever seen really of Hawk is him as Hawk, you know? Yeah. And then we like interviewed like 
guys like Scott Norton and like Nikita Koloff and and like and Eddie Sharkey and all when all these guys like start talking about Hawk, aka Mike, the real person, they start like tearing up. Like yeah, you just, it's a very emotional how, episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, and how, you, how funny he was too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, was, he like touched a lot of lives, and yeah. you could tell like he really cared about people around him, like the people who were close to him. Totally. Um, yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Well, uh, I'll move on from there. But I, that's uh, that was another one I got on the top of. I'd say my top threes. I, I can't wait to see oh, cool. that one. Very uh, cool. The, the one with uh, Herb Abrams, though, I think is <laughs> a cautionary tale. I don't know, uh, but this had to be a fascinating uh, hour to put together. And I don't know if it, if it's oh, it is pasted together. But uh, tell me about this and how how you guys decided that uh, Herb Abrams was going to be a Oh my a God. Great subject. First off, I'll just say, like, I didn't really know anything about the Herb Abrams story until <laughs> yeah. we started, like, diving into it. And, and the whole time, at first, it was like, when it was being pitched to me, I was like, really? Like, I never really heard of this guy. Yeah. But then when we started <laughs> researching him more and more, it was just became more unbelievable. And <laughs> by the end of it, like, it's still the story, going. The yeah. is still. Yeah. And, yeah. like, like we were doing the interviews and like after doing the reenactments that we just shot for it, it's like yeah. the most like twisted, weirdest. Like there was stuff that we shot that like even I was uncomfortable with. <laughs> I know. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But we have give to, us a little. Give us a little uh, uncomfortable to the story. We gotta. Yeah. We have to try and tell the truth, you know. But, like this really happened? Okay, well, I guess. Well, set it up for right. those because I think they're uh, set it up for the for people. There are a lot of them that don't know his story. Yeah, and, this and, is going to be. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, but uh, you know, lay it out a little bit uh, of, of why people would should want to watch this one. Yeah. So so so, <laughs> the story of Herb Abrams and the UWF. Um, so Herb Abrams was a mega fan of wrestling. Um, you know, he was at the first WrestleMania as a fan. He was a huge, huge, huge wrestling fan, and he was independently wealthy from basically running these, uh, you know, plus size girl. Like he basically ran a plus size clothing store for women called um, called uh, I'm a Big Girl Now, and uh, he uh, took the money he made from that to kickstart his own wrestling federation. And he's kind of one of these types of characters we see in history with someone who's just a big dreamer. You know, yeah. feels like I'm going to do it and I can do it. And, 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 uh, you know, I, you know, have the wherewithal to do this. And, and essentially he started doing kind of what Ted, like what WCW did, but kind of before, you know, so he like got his own television deal, not on the same level as, you know, TNT or whatever. But, and then he started getting all of the WWF talent that, was of yesteryear. You know, he started getting all these people to come in and to kind of be part of his, um, his, his, his upstart company. Yeah. Like it helped give him like some legitimacy. Like he got, he got like Bruno San Martino. Yeah. He did play by play with them. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. And so, and, and, and his dream was essentially to compete with Vince McMahon. That was the idea. He really wanted to take down Vince. I mean, he wanted to be the new, the new uh, wrestling uh, outfit in town. But it just didn't happen that way. And it basically, it never, the train never even got rolling. Basically, the train just fell apart and all the parts came loose, you know, right out of the gate. And uh, it's just one of these kind of spectacular 
kind of downfall stories, but it's also kind of this like story about like a dreamer and a guy who really wanted to, you know, had these lofty goals of wanting to create this company. And then all the people that believed in that dream, all the people that kind of got seduced by that dream and went along with that dream <clears throat> and some people who had to suffer the consequences of that dream. <laughs> and then some people like Mick Foley, <clears throat> which is a very interesting part of the story because Mick, Mick Foley joins us for this one, which is because, you know, he really cut his teeth there at the UWF mm-hmm. and Mick, uh, really got to find himself kind of there. Like he had come out of WCW where he was wearing handcuffs and then there was no, like, you know, UWF, you could basically do what you wanted to do. And he really kind of found his persona, uh, in that way. So, so for, so for some people it, 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 it worked and some people it kind of was the beginning of the end for them. But then also, um, you know, Herb Abrams kind of goes down in history as having one of the more sensational, uh, passings of anyone in the wrestling business or otherwise. And so, and, and there's a whole that, that, and that's like a legend and onto itself that right. we try and peel right. away. A lot of well. Vaseline was involved in, in cocaine and the few, Correct. Few other, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. A cautionary tale, uh, to say the least. And, and I don't know what the span of that was. What was the span? How long did the UWF actually exist for? It's was it long? Be- was it? Yeah. It's weird because it was very like patchy. It was very yeah. stop and start, yeah. stop and start. Yeah. It was like, it was like they would uh, they like got their television deal and they had like a year of TV and then that didn't happen. So now we'll try pay-per-view. And then like that really was a failure. So then let's like regroup for a year and then come back. So it was very patchy. And I think it pretty much was like on and off from like 1989, 1990 to about 96, somewhere around there. Yeah. Well, uh, you got me. I'm, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a really, really good one. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, and and the last one uh, that we'll be talking about is uh, is Owen Hart, and I think that that's uh, kind of a a great way to to wrap this up uh, as yeah. far as the episodes go, because uh, I I can't think of a a, a worse tragedy, uh, not just mm. because I, I I got the opportunity to to work with Owen and just what a great person he yeah. was, yeah. but I can't you know, and I still think about it when I hear the story, I'm like. 80 feet. I mean, could he have just landed in the ring and it's a cushion? You know, there's, there's a spring. Could some, you know, that, that why, why yeah. could that have to happen to, to somebody like him? Uh, and, and the, and, you know, like how did he end up there in that harness? You know, it's just mm-hmm. the, the whole, the whole story is just incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, going back to the episodes that fans wanted to see the most. Um, and that was right up at the top. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the stories that it was like, you know, the only way that we could ever, you know, in a million years do this story is if we have, um, the support and the participation, you know, of Martha Hart, you know, his widow and their family, because it's their story in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and all, in all ways. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that was like, if that happens, then we can do it, you know, or then, then we will do it. And, uh, and so that was kind of the, that was, that was what it all kind of came down to. But, you know, we were lucky enough that, um, you know, when we did meet, we did come together, you know, Martha and I, that, uh, and, and, and also Jason and that, 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 that we, uh, that she agreed and wanted to participate and wanted to do this and, and mm-hmm. wanted to tell this story, which was, which was great. And, um, the whole thing was basically, just sending her an email 
out of the blue, you know, here we are. We have this TV show. We really want to do this story, but we're only going to do it if, if, if you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And then she sent me back this email that just was the most one of the most thoughtful emails, replies I've ever got, which was just like asking me these 10 questions of just like kind of information about me, our show, our background and where we come from and what we want to do and how we want to tell it. And she's like, don't like, take your time answering this. And and I did. And I, I spent like weeks like putting all my thoughts and leading with my heart and trying to put all my thoughts down and, 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 and get it there and send it to her. And then she really wanted to meet. And mm-hmm. so I, I flew out to Calgary and and uh, we sat down and we had pizza, me, her and her son, Oge, and we had pizza for like four hours or something. And we just had a, an amazing time. And I was just taken aback by how cool they were. They were they're so cool. They're such great, 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 great people. And so funny, too, and just really, really, really great people. And so then we just really hit it off, and I think we really built something there. And then and then we were kind of right off to the races after that, kind of shooting with them and filming mm-hmm. with them and getting their story down. And and it's just it's it's very um, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be have your tissues close by for this one for sure. Really, it's, it's a oh, it's, it's a heavy hard, one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's and, a hard and one. Yeah. Is Brett? Yeah. Did Brett join uh, this episode? Did you get Brett to talk to you? So unfortunately. We did not. Um, hmm. So, so um, you know, Brett, um, you know, he, he's talked about it before. You know, Brett yeah. wasn't wasn't crazy about the Montreal Screwjob episode that we did uh, last year. And so uh, we obviously want Brett to be involved in this episode. I mean, he, he should be involved in this episode. And we reached out to him hmm. uh, to be a, to be a part of it because we, we thought that he should. I mean, he obviously should. And, uh, and, and, and he didn't, he didn't get back to us. So that, that's basically where it was left. Well, and, and I think you guys, uh, you know, uh, dealing with this, that you know the history of the Hart family. And, uh, it is, uh, I don't know, tenuous, tenuous, I guess, to say the least. Uh, complicated. That, it, yeah, really, especially over the years. And this, this, uh, Owen's death tore them apart. Yes. Uh, yeah. because that went on for a long time between the settlement and then other yeah. factions. Yeah, I don't know how much you get into it in the in the story, but uh, it, it really is a, a fascinating uh, family for one thing, and then and then the story that uh, you know uh, how we lost Owen. I mean, it, yeah. it's still when you think about it, how freakish that happened. You know that he that's how he he died. Uh, I in will say, really yeah. His career. I, I will also just add on to that too. I, I just like I, I remember it ha- when it happened, like because I was I was yeah. a huge fan at the time, and I remember seeing it on the pay per view broadcast, and it being such a such a topic uh, in school the next day, and um and 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 thinking about like all the years later now we have the show, and like are we gonna are we gonna cover this story? And thinking about I remember the first time you know thinking about that, like taking that, like are we gonna do this? And, and thinking about like, how are we going to do this? And it was right around the time last year, or I think it was last year. Yeah, last year when it was the 20th anniversary of of that tragic event and how people were kind of republishing stories and, and doing new um, editorial pieces on it. There were a couple of really great podcasts that had come out. Uh, Jim Ross did a f- phenomenal thing with Conrad. And um, there was another piece that came out through Post Wrestling. They did this amazing radio documentary about it. Um, and that's when really the first time for me, just about a year ago, when I really got to hear Martha's side of the story and then going through her book. And then I've subsequently read her book 
and going to finding out what their side of the story is. Because as a wrestling fan, you kind of live in a little bit of a wrestling bubble um, from what you know about it. And then now going through their family side of the story and and, wa- and and finding out what are the the events that took place leading up to that moment is yeah. is, is really sobering um, to look at. And so that like for us it was the mo- it was for us it was so important to get because nobody knows that story better than she does um, in terms of all the research and everything that she did and, and she's had to endure and go through. And I, I couldn't even believe one of the aspects of the story that I couldn't believe is I couldn't believe that she walked those steps that Owen took his last uh-huh. steps. She went back to Kemper arena and she had to go up to the catwalk and she had to walk those steps to uh-huh. see what he had gone through. And that was just, I just, I can't imagine that. I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. It must've torn you apart to do that. Um, and yeah, another tough. thing that you make, and I think is a, a great point, um, whether or not you're real, you're making, you're trying to make it or not, but, uh, and I found this with, uh, with Diana, uh, Hart, Davy Boy Smith's, right. uh, wife, that, um, not that they haven't gone on with their lives. I don't want to say that. They've, they've moved forward. They've, you know, uh, raised their children, but the identity, the how, their identity of how they were with that person and then to have them just kind of ripped from their lives, whether, you know, uh, yeah. It, it still hasn't it hasn't gone away, and I don't know if you found that with with Martha, but you know I know with Diana, and like I said, I'm not I'm not saying in a way that yeah, they I haven't understand. been able to you know, but yeah. it just shows you, and even yeah. even Joe Laurinaitis with someone like uh, with, right. with Mike, you know that uh, they're I, I don't know they're just bigger than life personalities, yeah. or they're so connected to who they were. Uh, I, I don't what what is your perspective on, well, on that what, and what you witnessed with it. Well, one thing I will say just real quick on that is like my experience with Martha is that like she's one of the strongest people that I've met, I think, in terms of everything that she's had to deal with with this story and having to overcome. Um, And she tells a very amazing part of the story, which is when when she finds out the moment that she finds out that her husband is is has, has died, she has this moment where of her in her life where she realizes that she has these two paths that, that, that she can pick one being total destruction. You know, everything's ruined. Everything's gone. Everything's over or the other path of rebuilding, you know, and that's the path that she's always taken. And she's always, you know, that's, that's the path she's always tried to, 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 to live by, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and then to see, um, what she has done in Owen's name since in terms of that, in terms of building the Owen Hart Foundation, opening schools all over the world and, and helping raise money for education and supporting causes that Owen believed in and things like that. And, 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 and also her perseverance for justice and perseverance for holding those accountable for what had happened as well. It's like, I just, she's just, she's just a ball of fire in that way, in terms yeah. of, in terms of, in terms of, um, it always moving forward and, 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 and not letting it be the thing that ultimately destroys her, you know? Um, yeah. and, and that is, that to me has always been like, I mean, obviously it's yeah. really hard and it's, it's, it's like the worst thing you can possibly be dealt with, but just to see her strength in that to, yeah. to me, to just as, uh, on a human level was just incredibly in, in, inspiring, you know? Yeah. That was like, I think like one big thing <laughs> I took away from it too is because we are, we deal with, 
a lot of top, topics with people who've lost like loved ones in their life and how they, how the grieving like process yeah. works for them. But I learned a lot about the grieving process th- from Martha, you know, and yeah. just her, her perspective on it was just very informative. Like, like Evan was saying, like, I don't want to spoil too much, but Can you I just know, when she, Sorry. well, when she like, when she <laughs> uh, retraces his steps on that day and walk up onto the catwalk, uh, the same one Owen did, uh, she took her two kids along for that as well, too. Yeah. Really? And at first yeah. I was like, wow, that's like, that would be really scary as a kid. And, um, Oge, his son, Oge, Owen's son, Oge told us, you know, for him, that was really important because it, it erased, like, it well, didn't erase, but like, I took a lot of doubt away from him so that for him, like growing up and for his grieving process, there would be like less questions about like, just like, what was that like for his dad? And like, you know, retracing his steps and just like kind of visually piecing it all together so that some of those questions could be like answered. And I thought, wow, that's like really powerful. Like it's a really hard thing. It must've been so hard to go through. Um, but it really, I think like made them so much stronger. Um, yeah. So yeah. And that... also understanding the risks that their father took for yeah. them as a family. Yeah. Oh, you know. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I'll tell you guys that, uh, and I'm sure I'm going to feel the same way about this season is, uh, yeah, you know, it is about wrestling, it, the, the core of it, mm-hmm. but there are life lessons throughout Absolutely. your stories that, I mean, yeah. that, like you just said, uh, you're going to learn something about, uh, you know, first of all, character, perseverance, what these guys went through, uh, yeah. and, and the people that, uh, helped make them uh, and yeah. were a part Bad of their money. lives that, you never uh, got to, you know, ever know about. And yeah. uh, really, there's there's life lessons in this. Oh, um, yeah, and, and I'm really I'm really looking forward to it. I got a few questions for you, not a bunch, but I, I would love sure. to throw a few at you that we've uh, sifted through here. And it comes off uh, right after this, you know, with the subject we've had here. But uh, William uh, Chavezian uh, on Facebook says, uh, and, and I, I don't know if you've got something to add to this. He want how are you able to get Martha Hard to cooperate with this. Maybe Jason, you have a, a, a different perspective on on that process. I know that Evan was talking about going through that letter and being very thoughtful about. Uh, but yeah, what, yeah. What, what do you remember? No, that that like because we, we yeah we we spent a lot of time like working on that letter and that was <laughs> like and she that was just really cool because none of our guests ever put us to a test like that before mm-hmm. and. That's true, uh, yeah. That was like a really like interesting, um, I wouldn't say challenge, but it was like for us, it also helped us to find um, the story we wanted. Yeah. Find what, yeah. For us in our hearts too, to like, what, what is the story we want to tell? How do we want to tell it? And, um, so I think like when she, like when she first, she met Evan first and like they connected and she saw like, you know, how, you know, we wanted to tell the story and, and, um, and how we could help like, guide her and her family through telling their story. Um, but it, yeah, when I, when I first met her, it was awesome. Like when she, she came, we flew her and Oj, her son Oj to Toronto. And I, like I said, I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia and Oj went to school in Halifax as well too. And I didn't know that, um, Owen and his family had like this huge affection for Nova Scotia. And oh, really? I realized when I saw, um, when the, like his, uh, his gravestone, has like this little lighthouse on it. And I was like, Oh, that's like super interesting. Like, where's that from? And so I asked her when I first met her 
And she said, oh, it was from this lighthouse in Nova Scotia that her and Owen loved uh, in this uh, place called Peggy's Cove. And uh, she had, she actually, yeah, in, with the Owen Hart Foundation, had a replica of that lighthouse built in Calgary, like on a lake in Calgary, Amazing. which is like incredible. But um, the the story, there was like, there's a story with, that goes along with the lighthouse in Peggy's Cove that like kind of has some relate, like just, I don't know. It has some similarities to her story as well too, which I found very interesting. Um, but yeah, that's a, another story. Well, and, but. and it, it sounds like that letter uh, helped you guys because uh, probably yeah. in a way when you, when you stepped into the filming, you knew that in a way she chose you to do it and, and, uh, and had, uh, you know, you had her trust. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Ian. That's, Ian that's J. Really cool, yeah. yeah. Ian J. Says uh, anybody that you. Oh, and I was I was going to bring this up early, but I love this question. Anybody you really wanted to interview but couldn't get, or an episode you had you yes. abandoned for the lack of interviews. I don't think that is the case, but uh, there had to be some that uh, you really yeah. wanted. I'm sure Brett was one of them, as you mentioned. But yeah. uh, how about some others? Yeah, I'll start off with one we yeah. really wanted, but no one in the world seems to know how to get a hold of this person was Mr. T for our David Schultz yeah. episode. We tried so really? hard to get a hold of Mr. T, yeah. and he seems to be completely off the grid. Untraceable. And untraceable. <clears throat> off the grid. That's a yeah. good answer, though, because we get asked that <coughs> We get asked that a lot, and I forgot yeah. about that. But, yeah, Mr. T, that was like a whole, like, where in the world is Mr. T? Uh, yeah. We tried a whole search hard. going on. Yeah. Yeah. Any, yeah. Anybody you, you think of, Evan, uh, that uh, you wanted to get? Man, 87 interviews, it's a blur. Um, yeah. Is there anyone, Jason, I'm forgetting? We really wanted to get um, uh, Hawk's ex-wife, um, who we also couldn't uh, track down. Well, Widow. Or, sorry, yeah. 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 Uh, Dale. Couldn't find you, Dale. Tried. Yeah. How about guys that you, you, uh, that you did get uh, and just – Turned out to be tremendous guests. I mean, you you talk uh, about uh, New Jack. You said oh. that he's great, but uh, any others that that really stand out? <laughs> you're like, holy shit, that was just awesome. You know, <laughs> like for me, there's this in the New Jack episode. There's this wrestler who goes by the name of Tiny the Terrible, who just had like a short career. He was he's a small person wrestler yeah. from Long Island. Was it? Was that where we? Filmed no, he's from. Inter- uh, it was in Rhode Island. <laughs> oh, Rhode Island, sorry, Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. Um, different island, yeah, bud. We've been all over. Yeah. The um, but he was a really interesting interview, and I think um, people are going to be quite surprised <laughs> when they see his interview and his involvement with the yeah. New Jack story, uh, particularly the mass transit story that we talked about earlier. But when we went to uh, his apartment, he had. Um, I think close to 200 action figures yeah, that he had made himself. Um, Uh And they were beautiful. He created this whole universe that he called this like ghetto altered universe. And it was really strange and really Uh like, it was like a separate documentary about that whole trip. I would have loved to. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was really fascinating. <laughs> one for me, one for me that was, uh, uh, especially amazing was, um, was Paul Ellering was really yeah. good. 
Paul Ellering, um, it's 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 not often that it like uh, a a subject will make me cry. Paul Ellering made me cry. Like his his whole um, his whole uh, I won't go. I don't want to spoil the moment. I'll just but I'll say like when 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 he goes into talking about finding out when Hawk passed and what he did afterwards and 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 how symbolic that was um, was just like man, what an amazing human being. And, uh, and, and that made me like literally tear up and cry in the moment. And, and uh, one thing we forgot to mention about the road warrior story is that I'm actually from Minneapolis. Um, so for me too, it was like this coming home story and it's the only episode in all of the both seasons that we shot everything in one place. So Mm -hmm. we brought everyone back to Minnesota and we shot it in Minnesota. So it was a very personal episode of Robbinsdale. Uh, yeah, we went around Robbinsdale and, and North Minneapolis and all around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it was just so cool. And, but Paul Ellering was, was great. Great. Wow. wow. Yeah. Can't wait to hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah. this, this is uh, something a lot of people want to be on Twitter says, what's the relationship with the WWE regarding using their footage, trademarks, et cetera? How did that relationship go? I, I, I know that, uh, last time around, I didn't, it, I mean, it's, it's a good relationship, isn't it? Or is it? Uh, it's uh it's well i mean you know we we basically you know don't have any relationship it's uh it is you know we're just covering these stories journalistically and you know that affords you the uh ability to you know showcase you know certain footage in certain ways when you're illustrating points and you're making certain points in a journalistic way and that's a huge part of our show so you know we're totally objective there's no relationship and you know we're just covering these stories uh on the outside Mm-hmm. So, I mean, did you, you you have to purchase footage though from them that you use, or how did that work? No, it's 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 um it's it's just like you know uh, any other you know sort of fair use situation All in terms right. of, okay. of uh, you know illustrating you know points journalistically that we do in our show. Yeah, yeah. we we like use it. To, very strategic off. answer. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, and hey, I'm I'm not uh, kayfabing here. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Let's see. Uh, Petrick uh, Darji on Facebook says, uh, "Oh, what's what's your guys' favorite era of wrestling? Is there are you 80s and 90s?" <laughs> uh, for me, I guess it would be the 80s because I, I grew up in the 80s, um, yeah. and you know, I just I have a a huge affection for it. It's why I'm here. You know, it's why I'm I'm a part of the show. Is because of that upbringing of growing up with wrestling in the 80s, um, and it wasn't. It was that was in a lot of ways how Evan and I connected through our friendship was for our mutual love of wrestling growing up. Um, yeah, we just like we just we both loved it so much, and I think in our older years, especially for me, as like like I, I'm a I'm a filmmaker and um, I love telling stories and I love trying to track down where my own like artistic like aesthetics like come from. And I, mm-hmm. I did like kind of like a little research project on myself where I like, I wanted to find out like, why do I like certain things? Like, why do I like the things I like? And so I started diving back into my childhood and trying to understand like the things that I liked and how that helped shape like my perspective. And I realized like wrestling like had like a huge part of shaping. Yeah. Uh, my creative, um, my creative perspective on things, yeah. uh, even till this may sound ridiculous, but even to the point of like color combinations, 
like how um, the WWE used to use color combinations when they were designing um, costumes for the wrestlers. They would use color combinations that really would like attract like kids. Um, yeah, oh, lime green, orange. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like even to this day, when I see like yeah. a certain you know pigment of yellow and red go together, my mind instantly goes to Hulk Hogan. You know, it it worked like really effectively. Yeah, that's you know? what we so, call marketing, boy. There's yeah, so like we like I, I I apply that thinking to all my work as well too, and all the costume designing and even yeah, the, yeah. Even the recreations that we do on this. As well. Yeah, definitely. And I just yeah, as a kid, like that that yellow stripe down big boss man's pants yeah you know yeah. that's yeah, like right. when i close my eyes i see that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very great. particular yellow stripe that's well and, and randy savage has his had his own uh oh yeah fashion awesome. line uh, awesome. people don't give him enough credit no. yeah uh, and that's let's see too, uh, i'll say yeah. too is like and it really works in our favor is um most wrestlers from that era, like in the 80s especially, because their gimmicks were so, like, you know, um, heightened, is yeah. that you could just see their silhouette. Like, you could right. just oh, see yeah. the silhouette and you would know who they are. I know. And that, oh, you yeah. know, you have, like, really good designs. Icons. Uh, yeah. And creating iconic, like, characters. And so for us, yeah. when we do the recreations, we literally just have to show, we have to kind of create that silhouette. And that does it. And that will instantly hold minds. Okay, so, uh, you know, we got a lot of uh, folks who listen in the U.K., and they're big fans of the program. Uh, the question here from uh, Danny McCourt on Twitter wants to know any news regarding the U.K. release date. Yeah, um, <clears throat> they are going to announce it, I think, shortly. Um, and I hear that it's going to be um, – uh, it might not be until like early June, but, yeah, that's, but it's that's the rumor. That's yeah. the rumor. Oh, it's definitely coming. Yeah. It's definitely coming. Uh, but that, that is the rumor I, I heard. Okay. And, uh, boy, I think this is going to be a tough question for you guys. Uh, Nick McDonald wants to know well, which episode you're looking forward to most. I mean, I, I think it really comes down to, <laughs> did you, do you guys have a favorite episode each? Oh, it's hard to say. I think we're very proud of the, the Benoit episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we we led into the season with that episode, and it, it's we, we it, it was a very emotional process, and it's the biggest and, undertaking we've done of any story, I think. Like, yeah, fully, like you know, and I, uh, it's just like it's the it just feels like you know, um, we put so, I mean, we put so much into all of our stories. Like, I'm not gonna yeah you know, say that, but like it, just in terms of the undertaking of the resources that it required and everything and 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 all the research and the different voices and, and you know and it, it we put i feel like the most into it like it demanded yeah. the most of us um, and you feel so you I, told the story you were happy with uh you know that you you did tell yeah. the story yeah 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 i do feel really happy with the way that way that it the way that it like in, in totality it's not an easy story it's definitely not an easy journey um it's it's a hard one but um once you get through to the other side of it um, you know, there is strands of positivity to take out of it and things you can learn from it, um, as difficult as the story is to revisit again for those who remember it so vividly. But, um, yeah, but yeah, I think it's the one that I'm most proud of, I think. And of course, you know, this is coming and, uh, you know, you're always thinking ahead, uh, season three, 
Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Will we see a season uh, three? Is they, uh, they is that green light come on yet? I feel like we need to sleep for a year yeah, first. Like, come on, Mooney. To... Jeez, do you have to, to ask us that now? But... <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. Can you at least go lay down on an island, uh, <laughs> a deserted one, because you can't be around anybody? I know. Right? Oh, my God. God. I actually just forgot about everything for a little bit. <laughs> I did, yeah. yeah. yeah it's great. Um, I, I don't know. I'm glad I, mean, I could do that. Definitely, yeah, no, seriously. Uh, I There's definitely stories that I would still love to do. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put that out there. There are stories that I still think I would love to do. Um, oh, yeah, if there was a way to, you know, it's, it's not the easiest show to make, no, um, especially no, no, just, no. you know, it was, it was tough. Um, I'm not going to bring out the small violin for everybody, but just that it, it's, it's, it's a tough show to make with all the travel, the amount of time we had. We basically had the same size team and we did twice the amount of episodes in the same amount of time. We did half the amount of episodes last year. So, wow. This year was just so was 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 I thought it would get easier and, and it didn't get easier. We haven't uh, taken a day off this whole year. We haven't like, taken not one weekend. Off. We've been working yeah. straight through the weekends to to try and meet yeah. deadlines. Because <laughs> so, yeah. like it's 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 ten documentaries. Yeah, and we're perfectionists. People, people do them like one a year. I like uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I mentioned my friend do. Joe Levine when he was with HBO. He, would, he had like a yeah. year. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, yeah. it's ten documentaries, and we are perfectionists. Yeah. So we 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 have to like you know we have to make them like you know like we would have to we have to be fans of them like we have to yeah. love these things. So yeah. and you it do. takes a lot. Yeah. And and my last question, guys, uh, how has doing this series impacted you? Because it, I mean, just talking to you, I could tell that you know it's it's changed you in in ways and and uh, also oh. what you've learned along the road. How's the, how has the series impacted both of you? I put on about 30 pounds. Late night yeah, dinners. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a thing I think about a lot. Like there, there are, and this is true. I'll, I, this is a hundred percent true. Like there are times when I'm traveling on the road and, um, especially during some of the more emotionally difficult episodes, I'll come home or I'll come back to the hotel room and I'll, I'll have like a emotional moment to myself. And just kind of be like, you know, wow, like just just from being surrounded by uh, and, ha- and 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 interviewing a lot of people who've gone through so many hard and difficult things, and you know, it is it is it's just a it is a it is a wild experience, you know, and and having to uh, you know interview people and hear their stories, and it does affect you in some ways. Not I'm not saying like it's bad or anything. I'm just saying it's 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 a it's a emotionally it's a big emotional experience uh, making the show sometimes. Um, and you know, like I said, you know, we are perfectionists and so we push a lot of people and we push ourselves so hard in order to do this because we want it to be the best it can be. And sometimes that just is, you know, you're, you're just asking for a huge load of stress when you, uh, when you're, when you're doing things like that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I try to like, it's cause we're working on the show like 24 seven. It's like times I, I'm like, man, like I don't have a life. Like I, you know, I don't get to see my my girlfriend and my family. Um, but I realized too, it's like, my life is like, it's, it's spending time with these people, uh, like our subjects and I'm learning so much from them. Like yes. the, the time I spent with David Schultz just for like two days, like I just learned so much from him, you know, and, and same with Martha. 
like I was saying, like just how much I learned about grief and like about life and how to process like a tragedy. So if like a tragedy ever like, like came into my life, um, like I, I think she helped me just be better equipped maybe emotionally for it, you know? So yeah, like I'm learning a lot from the people that we're spending time with and, and it's, it, it like, like, you know, we, before this, we worked in like the, the feature film world where, <laughs> you know, you get to write a story and you make up a story and then you, you know, you film it and you put it out in the world and there's no consequences to it really other than like, it's like, it's a story that you've like made up and you put it out there. But with these, it's like, it's, there's so much emotional responsibility and there's a lot of responsibility on us to like stories, you know? And we, we are very aware of that and that weighs like very heavily like on us. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's all, yeah, we're learning a lot and still, you know, uh, living life through the process of (laughs) of making the show. Yeah. And how about just the accomplishment, guys? I know when we first uh, chatted the the first time around about, you know, here you're just kind of like pitching a story, and then they kind of said, well, okay, go do one, and then here you are, uh, almost 15 sep- episodes done. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> the, the accomplishment of what you've been able to do. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's it's something that I will be able to, I think, for me, fully understand and appreciate, like, when it's all done. You know, like yeah. when it's all done and I can like, you know, uh, but it, it's it's still like, again, because the fact that, you know, on Tuesday, our show goes on the air and, you know, we still have episodes to finish. So the pressure is still really real for us both, um, knowing that, you know, we have more episodes to finish and we only have so many weeks. Um, and so, you know, but, um, you know, the the response we get from people, especially this time around. Like when the trailer came out or whatever it was last week and just seeing the excitement that people have um, for this season and the the subjects that we're covering and everything like that's definitely keeps us going. Like you, you like forget about that sometimes when you're in the middle of it and then you and then and then people who are so eager to see what you've put together and want to do like that's just so reassuring. And, you know, it it gets me to fight, keep fighting, you know. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. because like last season we finished the show and then it was like months before. Yeah. It like aired and like we did, there was all this uncertainty and we didn't know like when it was going to air, if it was going to air, and people you know, and so there was a lot of time to kind of process, um, everything after we finished the show, this, you know, I'm like coming onto this show, like feeling like I still have yet to like process everything. Like I, I, I still know. don't even know like really how to talk about everything yet in a way because we're still so thick in it. Like I've just been, yeah. I've been living the Jimmy Snuka story in an edit for like two weeks now. And so that's like where my mind is. Like, yeah. like so I'm trying to immerse myself like in each story as much as I can, you know? So it's, yeah, yeah it's much different now. Now the show is coming out at the same time as we're like, we're finishing it. <laughs> episodes. Yeah. Uh, surreal. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, it, yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. And, uh, folks, you, you cannot miss this, uh, this series. It's, it's fantastic. Thank uh, you. I'm glad I got you guys before it uh, premiered, which is happening, uh, the 24th, March 24th, which is Tuesday. And uh, I believe yeah. this episode is dropping the day before. So, uh, you, you go, you out there. It's on Vice. Vice TV, if you don't have it, it is uh, worth uh, maybe a couple of bucks, but you got you, you should get it because uh, it's going to be well worth seeing all these episodes. The first uh, first one featuring Chris Benoit and his story, but uh, 
Guys, thank you so much for coming on, and, and really, I can't wait to see thank the stories. You. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Say what I tell you. Wasn't that fascinating? Almost uh, two hours with those guys, and wow. Um, if that doesn't make you want to watch that series, man, I don't know what. If you're a professional wrestling fan, uh, and there's many of those personalities that you watched growing up, uh, it's just fascinating, fascinating. They did a lot of work, as you could tell that <laughs> Jason's just exhausted, uh, and so is Evan. And, but uh, they did some fantastic work, and, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, folks, I, I, like I said, I hope you're taking care of yourselves. Um, I don't know what many of you are doing for entertainment, but uh, if you've got some hours to, to kill, and uh, we hope we can entertain you, go back to the library. There's uh, some other... Uh, episodes I'm sure that you haven't listened to yet and some of your favorite personalities and their stories are just uh, fascinating and inspirational. I hope that uh, you'll take the time to do that. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know how you're doing. I just had a Facebook uh, Live this past weekend. A lot of our loyal listeners checked in and uh, I feel the same way about uh, about you. Please uh, look after one another and uh, we'll have another great episode coming your way next week. Uh, Till then, I'm Sean Mooney and I am out.